This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. A lot to get to today. If you stayed up for it, you saw the Vikings get pummeled 24-7 to on Monday Night Football. An opportunity lost. They go to 1-1 one and one on the season. Not the end of the world, but we'll get into all of the bad things we saw in that game. Some of the things they will need to correct going forward and just frankly just a resetting of expectations very early in the season we'll get into that as well randy johnson covers gopher football for the star tribune will join me here in a little bit as well big news out of the gophers over the weekend uh, dual news one was really good they beat colorado 49 to 7 but unfortunately lost wide receiver chris ottman bell to a lower right leg injury in that game and confirmed on Monday that he is out for the season. So I'll talk to Randy about kind of who has to step up in the the place of Ottman Bell, who will be gone for the rest of the year and, you know, go for starting Big Ten play this week at Michigan State. How does that step up in class correspond to how they might fare in this season when they've already gone 3-0 against lesser competition? And need to get to the Twins at the end of the show and just the uh, the unofficial official end of their season. They get blown out by Cleveland 11-4 to on Monday, end up losing four out of five games in that series. So that is not officially over, but for all intents and purposes, that is over. It was an okay run for them, propped up by a bad division that's you know, still not very good, but uh, losing four to five in a series where you needed to probably win four out of five, yeah, that will uh, that will do it for uh, for the Twins. But first, what did I miss? We got to get back to the Vikings. Got a whole bunch of notes written down. You know, I I've gone back and forth on this team a lot already for a one and one season. You know, maybe two months ago I was feeling pretty good about the Vikings. I looked at him and I was like, you know what? Relatively soft schedule, a lot of offensive playmakers back, um, you know, new system, new schemes, um, you know, some just the, just the fresh start. I thought that that would maybe get them into a, you know, a 9 or 10 win season and, you know, carry them forward. Um, my opinion started to change a little bit during camp when I just when I saw their depth and got a real, you know, better sense for who some of the backups were on this team, how they were going to be able to approach things if they didn't have their frontline players. And I just got kind of worried. I was like, A, I don't know how the depth stacks up, and B, I don't know how the, this defense with a lot of you know veterans who were getting older learning a new scheme, I just didn't know how that defense was going to hold up. So I predicted they would go 7-10. and 10 at the start of the year, and people were like, that's too negative. Uh, you know, some people were like, hey, right on, but a lot of people were like, that's too negative. You, you, that This is a better team than that. And a lot of my colleagues didn't say that, of course, but they had different predictions. So they then they go and win their opener 23-7 against Green Bay, and I'm like, well, they, you know, they just flat out looked better than I thought they would look. So going into this Monday night game, my sentiment was, if they could win this game as well, then my opinion had to fully change of them. They were suddenly going to be, you know, not just two and zero, but two and zero with really good wins. Two and zero, you know, with a chance to then 
you know, being being fairly good control, like ten wins in a in a in a season, a seventeen game season. After you win your first two, you really have to, you have to go barely over five hundred the rest of the way. And if you've won those two games, that doesn't seem like a big stretch. So, I thought that if if they could win that Philadelphia game, all of a sudden the conversation would change. Well, folks, um, they did not win that Philadelphia game. They looked, unfortunately, for Vikings fans, unfortunately for the organization, very much like the frustrating inconsistent team that they have been the last few seasons uh, I mean you know, it's it's really you know you can draw any kind of line from from when that starts but a lot of it probably started during the during the, the beginning of the Kirk Cousins era and it's certainly not all cousins but you know once they spent that kind of money on a quarterback the roster imbalances only got more pronounced and then the defensive players kept getting older and older and not a lot of people came in to replace them. So it just felt like the same old, same old, which was disappointing, right? You, you had this whole notion that things were changing. And in, on Monday Night Football, in primetime, where Kirk Cousins has struggled mightily, things looked very familiar. Cousins throws three hideous interceptions. I think the first one uh, looked like it was more Justin Jefferson's fault than Kirk Cousins' fault. Cousins was expecting Jefferson to run a slightly different route, but that came at a big point in the game, right? It was 24-7 at halftime, and there's, you know, anytime along the way in a game, there's going to be moments that change momentum. The one big one was Irv Smith dropping a what probably would have been a touchdown on a, on a long pass from Cousins when it was 21-7. You know, Vikings, that drive ends up stalling. The Eagles wind up getting a field goal at the end of the first half to go up 24-7. to You know, but the Vikings kept Philadelphia off the scoreboard in the second half and certainly had their chances to score. That's when all, that's when all three of Cousins' interceptions came. And you know, a couple of them were like kind of late. You're like, are they really still in it? But, you know, he throws he throws the one when it's 24-7 pretty early in the the third quarter. I believe it was the first drive of the third quarter and they they're finally starting to find some rhythm going a little changing the tempo a little bit, going some no huddle. And you just have that, whether it's a miscommunication, whether it's, you know, Jefferson went one way that he wasn't supposed to, still felt like it was a contested area, but I'm not putting that one all on Cousins, but still a a big turnover at that point in the game. Then the Vikings get a blocked field goal later. Patrick Peterson, a great blocked field goal. The special teams has been very good all season. Looks like that could be, you know, maybe a strength of this team, or at least has been so far good punting. Uh, the field goal unit seems like it's got itself together. They didn't have to do much in this game, but the game before against Green Bay. And then, of course, the blocked punt. That's a huge play. Momentum changes. They move the ball. And then again, another interception. Cousins just threw, like, aside from the three picks, he threw, like, a few other balls that were certainly turnover-worthy plays. And, you know, that's just it's just really discouraging because you, you hear Kevin O'Connell talk about Kirk Cousins. You hear, hear him talking about how things are different. You hear him talking about how he wants Cousins to play with a, quote, quiet mind. That's been his, that's his, been his big discussion point a long time. Play with a quiet mind, which kind of means, you know, have it, have it just kind of just flow through you and just be, be calm, be relaxed, play with a quiet mind. Um, hey, Daily Delivery, by the way, has, has obtained exclusive audio footage of what it sounded like inside Kirk Cousins' mind on, uh, on Monday night. So let's listen to that. Definitely not a quiet mind. He looked amped up. He looked fidgety. 
He did not look calm. He did not look in control as much as he did against Green Bay. The whole team was not as crisp as it was against Green Bay. You know, they committed some penalties. They 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 jumped a couple times. Just things like that. They you know, and again, different environment, right? You're not at home. You're not controlling your environment. You're on the road. It's a hostile place. The crowd noise is loud. It's a night game. There's a lot of different environmental things. It's on grass. Like a lot of things about it were very different. And I think Kevin O'Connell wanted to get a sense for how his team would respond to that. That was kind of the narrative going into the week. You know, would would they be able to kind of continue that momentum, feel like they were still in a good place? And that certainly was that certainly was not the case. Um, certainly was not the case in in this game. And O'Connell afterward tried to take the blame himself, and I, I see some of that. Let, let's let's listen to what he had to say first. Um, but I, when I look back on tonight. Um, ultimately, I think, uh, you know, I put, I put this one on me. Um, I put this one on me. I don't think I did enough for our team in-game. And, and obviously, I, I think our plan, uh, we felt good about our plan. They did some things defensively uh, and just seemed to, seemed to kind of push us to the point where we just needed to make that one or two uh, plays on a drive to kind of get going and see if we could potentially finish um, and, and kind of capture that momentum. And then ultimately, just as a football team, although our defense and, and special teams with the block field goal, uh, defense with a, you know, forcing a turnover there late just to try to help us try to get going, and ultimately weren't able to capture that. And uh, like I said, you got to give Philadelphia a lot of credit. But ultimately, I, I, I do mean it. I do feel like this one's on me, and I, I, I told our team that uh, you know, I'm going to work like crazy to make sure that this does not happen again. And uh, we're, I have no doubt we'll be prepared and ready to respond um, like the way I know we will. You know, and I, I think coaches will do that just in general. They'll try to, you know, take the fall when, when things go bad. At least the good coaches will. They say, that's on me. You know, I've got to do a better job. And I think O'Connell in this case probably is being sincere because I didn't like I didn't like a lot of the game plan. I didn't like a lot of the schemes. I thought a lot of it was kind of garbage, frankly. I thought they, they were unaggressive. Um, I felt like you know, we, we've been told all of this about they're going to scheme guys open. There's going to be this all this pre-snap motion. There's going to be kind of this, you know, a lot of these uh, a lot of these kind of gadgets going to create these separations, create these small edges. I just did not see them gaining a lot of small edges. There was very little separation. Justin Jefferson was covered all night. I mean, Darius Slay was great in that game, but he was covered all night. Adam Thielen had very little space. They just did not seem to be capitalizing on whatever edges they were gaining in that game on offense. And then on defense, I thought they were way too conservative in the first half. I mean, Ed Donatel's defense is kind of designed to, you know, bend but don't break to a certain degree, kind of in this big shell, leaves the middle of the field very open. And against someone like Jalen Hurts, against an offense like Philadelphia has, where you can't just take away one thing. He's going to have a lot of different things he can do on a given play. He's going to have a lot of different you know places he can go with the ball. He can tuck it. He can hand it off. He can throw it. Um, you know, a lot of different options for him, and he he exploited those options. He was, you know, he was awesome in the first half in particular. Seventeen of twenty, two hundred and fifty-one yards, a touchdown. He ran seven times for fifty yards with two touchdowns. I mean that that's if that's a full game in one half and he finished you know finished with 26 of 31 for 333 Eagles average 7.1 yards per play. I mean that that right there tells you you got to be concerned about this scheme because they're going to see, you know, maybe not to the extent that Jalen Hurts ran it, but they're going to see offenses like this along the way. They're going to see teams that do have a mobile quarterback. They're going to see teams that are able to put them into a 
It put them into a situation where they are going to struggle to contain in a certain way. So I did not feel like the game plan was either you know, very well thought out or very well executed. Whatever one it was, or maybe a little bit of both, I did not like the defense nearly as much as I thought I might in this game. But going into the year, the defense was a big concern of mine. That was one of the reasons I had them pegged at 7 and 10. So that concern is once again very, very valid. It just it, it put them behind right away. The Eagles scored on their first possession. You know, I think they forced a punt on the next one, but maybe got a little fortunate with some penalty calls, some offensive pass interference somewhere in there. So, you know, just it just didn't feel like the defense ever was able to catch up really until it was too late, until it was 24-7. And, you know, certainly, you know, holding things down in the second half was a little bit more encouraging. The Vikings certainly had their chances to get back into the game. When Cousins throws three second-half interceptions from inside Philadelphia's 30-yard line, one of them inside the 10, I mean, that tells you right there, like if they had been a little bit more um, able to execute a little bit better, that could have gotten a little bit more interesting, at least at the end. I never I never felt like they were going to get back in the game, but it could have gotten a little bit more interesting, at least in the end. But, uh, you know, defense and offense certainly contribute in negative ways in this game. So where do they go from here? Where does my opinion of this team sit now that they are 1-1? One and one? I mean... I think maybe we should just take a little rest from the opinion game. I, th- I started the year at 7-10. and 10. Um, I got a little bit more optimistic after they beat Green Bay, and I think for good reason. The, the evidence seemed to suggest that that was a performance worthy of optimism. This one is completely the opposite. So they've got an opportunity right now. They're, you know, Everybody's going to be negative about them today. I'm pretty negative about them today. But look at their next three games. Home against Detroit, neutral site against the Saints, and then home against the Bears. That's an opportunity to, to be four and one after that three-game stretch. Let's be let's be real. I mean, as as better as the Lions seem so far, and they certainly had no trouble scoring points against Philadelphia a couple games ago, even in a loss. Um, you know, the Saints aren't a pushover, but that's a neutral site game, which is a big deal. That's away over in London. And then the Bears look terrible, um, even though they're one one. I, I don't have much confidence in the Bears. I mean. Those are three games I could certainly see the Vikings winning. If they come out of this stretch at least 3-2, and two, I think they'll feel okay about themselves. Anything less than that, we're going to be going, uh-oh. And I really do think there's a chance they could be 4-1 and one after this. And then you're thinking, okay, um, you know, everybody's positive about them again. Everybody's getting back on, you know, back on, that, uh, back on that bandwagon. But we got to see the evidence of you know, the things they were doing well in that first game when Justin Jefferson was so open when Kirk Cousins was making quick, crisp decisions with the ball, when they weren't turning it over, when the defense looked like it could handle whatever Aaron Rodgers was throwing their way. I mean, that's going to be the challenge, right? They, they finally put a game on tape. And then Philadelphia could go back and look and say, okay, this is, what, this is what a Kevin O'Connell team is trying to do. This is what Ed Donatel's new defense, what the Vikings is trying to do, and they can scheme against that. Now can the Vikings counterpunch? Can they come back and, and, and now have that, um, you know, have that counterpunch, have that, you know, make those adjustments now that teams can see what they do well and what they frankly don't do well. There's, you know, there's two games of tape now, one of, you know, one of them doing a lot of things well, one of them doing things not well. So that that's going to be interesting going forward. And that's going to be kind of the, the difference probably between seven and 10 and 10 and seven. How many adjustments can they make? How much is O'Connell really going to affect this? Because like we've said, this is largely the same roster and they've largely come out of this still 
pretty healthy. So whenever the uh, you know whenever attrition starts to hit and they have to play some of the players who are lower on the depth chart, how is that going to affect things as well? But for right now. Um, you know, I think maybe I'm just going to sit on my 7 and 10 prediction and see how this all plays out. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. All right, let's talk right now with Randy Johnson, covers gopher football for the Star Tribune. Talking to Randy in the day earlier than we might usually most of the weeks this year, just kind of a strange, uh, strange week with the Vikings playing Monday night. You heard me talk a lot about that game already, but Randy, let's get to um, let's get to the Gophers. And you know, again, we we talked last week about would would we find out much about this team, or would this be kind of more of the same against Colorado? And it was kind of more of the same, even though Colorado, you know, represents at least in name and in stature a step up in class from New Mexico State, from Western Illinois, being a Power Five school. Uh, it was still a a lopsided affair, you know, thirty five nothing at halftime before they kind of you know took a little bit of the gas off. Could have been a shutout, but they you know Colorado gets one very late after the starters leave. Forty nine seven is the final Colorado so bad they issue a public apology for how bad they are. The uh, Colorado athletic director saying, sorry, we're so terrible. Please stay, please keep watching, uh, which does not happen a lot in Gophers history. So uh, as, as you, before we get to some of the, the bigger takeaways from the game, including the news that we learned Monday that Chris Ottman bell, the news they fear that he would be out for the season is, is, is in fact the case. What, uh, what, what do you take away from that game before we get to the, the impact of that injury? Oh, I take away that they they were um, you know another workmanlike game from the Gophers, but there was a little bit of an edge to it too. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, the Gophers score in their first series. Colorado gets the ball and uh, first play from scrimmage. Uh, Joe Rossi dials up a cornerback blitz from, from Terrell Smith, who who smacks the quarterback, knocks the ball loose, and the Gophers recover. Uh, score a couple plays later, and it's fourteen nothing. And that was basically the ball game right there. I. The, I could I could not see Colorado coming back from that with 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 the uh, with the uh, problems they have on offense and defense. Gophers still number two, I believe, in the nation now in total offense and total defense. They've fallen behind a little bit somehow. Uh, that that forty nine seven game didn't quite. Uh, I think they're behind Ohio State in offense and maybe James Madison in defense. I don't know who exactly no. is, but uh, but the, but still, you know, still looking very good. That said. We've been pointing all along to the fact that this gets a lot tougher now. They will play Michigan State um, next weekend. It's a road game. Michigan State has had some problems of its own. They just lost to Washington, and, and have, they've struggled in the passing game, pass defense. Gophers now without Chris Ottman-Bell. Let's give an update first. What, what did we learn from P.J. Fleck on that on Monday? Yeah, Chris Ottman-Bell has a... Uh, lower leg injuries, his right leg out for the season is going to have surgery on Wednesday. Uh, it was a non-contact play. Um, he was going up to try to catch a pass. Came down a little bit awkwardly. Uh, looks like when he hit hit the the turf with his knee, um, but he was cl- seemed to be clutching at it just before he went went to the turf too. So, you know, he he, he felt something that seemed to be right uh, right as he as he was coming down. 
Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big blow, and it's, it's too bad. Re- really good kid. I think you ask anybody in the media who's dealt with him, and you know, he's just just a joy to deal with. Always just effervescent all the time, just a you know, smile on his face, and then, you know, great to talk to. And, you know, a, a very productive player. It's, he's, he'll be missed, that's for sure. Uh, you know, last year he had a, uh ankle injury coming out of training training camp and that hampered him a bit uh missed the opener and just wasn't quite as effective for for a while now this uh, then the, the the passing game didn't go as well uh without him this year it'll, it's i think they're a little bit better uh uh position to deal with this type of injury deeper quite a bit deeper this year i, I would say did i see that they're going to petition for a seventh year of eligibility for him uh, yeah, if 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 Chris and his family choose so, yes, they they will do. They will get that, and PJ is pretty confident they'll get it. Uh, that's what these uh, waivers are made for. You know, everything's and the seven year deal. I mean, they already got one guy on the team. The seven year guy is Clay Geary, another wide receiver. Uh, but you know, the seven year deal that's come about because of that uh, the COVID year everybody was given uh, in 2020. So normally it would be a, a six year deal, but now you get seven with that. That's amazing. Um, you wrote, uh, we wrote about uh, Monday after after we wrote about the news of this, um, kind of some people whose responsibilities and roles could be elevated now in in uh, in Ottman Bell's absence. Who do you think jumps to kind of the the top of that list, or, or do you do we feel like we'll, we'll they'll be relying on more uh, in this case? I would say among the wide receivers, you're going to look at uh, Dalen Wright, Daniel Jackson, who made his season debut after. Uh, an injury to start the season and miss the first two games. And then uh, um, Mike Brown Stevens, uh, those, those give me your main three. Lamecki Brockington's another guy uh, who's been getting some run lately, but you're also going to see uh, Revan span for the tight end. Who's right now the number two receiver on the team. I would think that he would, his game would be expanded to um, you know, Kirk Chirac, the offense coordinator uh, looks like, you know, he's, he's been using Revan quite a bit this year. And it, I think this will just uh, ramp that up. Do you think this, you know, they've, I think they've been doing a good job so far this year, you know, mixing in the pass. Again, a lot of these games have been, they've all been lopsided. They've kind of been able to do whatever they wanted at a certain point. So it's maybe, you know, we don't really know yet what they'll, what they'll call in a close game or how they'll proceed in a, you know, a game that they might face against Michigan State or something like that. But do you think this changes how they approach things philosophically? Or do you feel like they feel good enough about, their wide receiver depth, their pass catching depth, that they won't necessarily change much of what they would have wanted to do anyway. I think they will try to stay the course with what they've been doing, mixing it up. I mean, they're, they're still a run heavy team and they always will be. They're a run heavy ball control type of team that likes, that likes to play the complimentary football where your offense is keeping the ball and keeping the opponent off the field. And that helps the defense. Uh, but that said, if I can see if they, you know, they run into, problems in the passing game they might rely on Mo Ibrahim a little bit more uh in the run game uh but I think they they they're set up a lot more depth wise uh uh this year than they have been in the past at wide out so I would expect them to continue to try to pass when they can I saw Mo I think it was the third touchdown of the game for the Gophers on Saturday he carried like you got shoved in for like five yards it was just the big shove for the rest of the play but just like the push 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 I mean he's we knew how good he was, but just coming off the injury and just how impressive he's been so far this year. I mean, that play seemed to exemplify kind of everything that he does well. Yeah, and and what their what their line and their and yes. receivers were blocking very well on that play. 
ended up looking like a rugby scrum at the end. And he, uh, he kept his uh, mo kept his feet going, and he's got uh, guys like Nick Keller up trying to drag him into the end zone. And in the in the middle up there, there's this poor Colorado linebacker who's just getting stampeded. Does uh, you know? I think it, it, with with three and zero, we probably would have expected them to be three and zero. I certainly would have expected them to be three and zero. But the process of getting there has there been one side of the ball or one unit that you would say has been, you know, whether position group, whatever you might be, that's been the most kind of pleasant surprise or anything like that. And maybe is it the offensive line just because they had so many replacement, you know, guys coming in that hasn't necessarily been starters or how, what would you say has been something that's been even better than you expected? Yeah, I would say the offensive line that, that you know, they, they lost four starters. They had guys with experience, some, not a lot, but some, and you had, you've been the best guy in the middle there with, with uh, John Michael Schmitz at center, an uh, All-American, you know, possible uh, Remington Trophy winner this year. Uh, you know, he's he's been leading that line pretty well, and, and it's it's done a good job. Now, you know, they're going to be getting uh, uh, going up in class this weekend, weekend starting with Michigan State. So we'll, know, we'll find out a lot more about them. They're, they're going to be playing bigger guys in the Big Ten. And how do you think, I mean, that's a good transition point to talk about the Michigan State game here for a little while. Like we said, Michigan State had some problems um, against Washington, the, the past defense. It seems like it's been having some some problems. I mean, it seems like that would, like I said, lend the lend this to be a game where Tanner Morgan has has an outsized role, or at least, you know, they, they take some shots that way. You know, th- that said, we, we all know what they want to do ideally is run the ball. So I mean, the approach in this game will be interesting to me as will just what they do when they face a team that's much better than any of the teams they face so far this year. Yeah, I, I it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see. I, I just think it's, it's, they, they, I don't think they're going to shy a lot away from their bread and butter. You know, they're, they're, they have, they have an identity. They're going to try to uh, impose that, that will on, on the opponent. Uh, it's, it's uh they always talk about, you know, worrying about how they play, not who they play. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, but you look, I mean, you look beyond this game and it, you know, the the schedule, like we've talked about, is fairly forgiving, especially compared to a team like Wisconsin. Wisconsin, I think, plays Ohio State this weekend and they've got some other, you know, other tough, tougher games on their schedule. They've got Michigan. They've got some other some other tests that they will have to you know, get through. I mean, this is certainly not a a make or break game for the Gophers, but there's an element of statement to be made and control really to take. If you win this game and you say that's probably our toughest game, if you're talking about from the Gophers' perspective, might be their toughest game for five or six weeks. Um, you you, you got to you got to feel pretty good about yourself if you win this game. Yeah, I kind of look at it as a bellwether game for them. You know, I always point at this one. It's like, okay, well. You know, they should be definitely three and all going into this one. Uh, and it, it'll, it'll be three and all gets t- teams that weren't expected to be very good. Now you're playing somebody who was, who was a top 10 team last year. I don't know if Michigan state is quite to that level um, this year. Uh, you know, Lake Washington exposed them a, a little bit, uh, but still I, you know, and the Gophers are even favored in this game by the odds makers. Uh I, you still, you got to go there and you, you know, if you win that game, you know, okay. Gophers are somebody to, to contend that could contend in, in this, in this West and contend for the title. Um, I wouldn't sleep on the Purdue game uh, next week to Purdue's played. Purdue's got a couple, couple losses, but they played people tough. Um, you know, that's uh, that, that one won't be easy either. Uh, you know, it's, 
you look at it, Illinois is a team that beat the Gophers last year. And for some reason, uh, uh, Brett Bielema has, hasn't lost to the Gophers as a head coach. So, you know, you, you can't overlook that one per se. They, they have a nice running game, good defense. But uh, yeah, I, this was this game this weekend is one that I always thought we'd find out a lot about the Gophers. And I think we will. I think we will too, Randy. Good, good stuff. We'll uh, we'll do this again next week, likely on Wednesday, as we get back to maybe a more normal schedule with the Vikings and such. Tell them, read Randy's coverage, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, and we'll catch you next week, Randy. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. Good stuff from Randy, and I feel like the Gophers kind of have the same opportunity that the Vikings did. Um, you know, the Vikings gained a whole bunch of momentum with that opener against Green Bay. Everybody's really high on the Gophers right now, but everybody's been issuing that caveat, like, hey, they really haven't played anybody yet. Can they go into Michigan State, a good team, but a team that you know just lost to Washington? Can they go in there and be as dominant as they have looked so far? Get that win because then all of a sudden the conversation changes. This is a, a statement game for the Gophers, just like it was for the Vikings. The Vikings did not succeed. Can the Gophers succeed where the Vikings did not? Let's finish with the cooler. One play exemplifying the entire season for the Minnesota Twins. Actually, one entire sequence, uh, if we're going to be honest about it. It came in the middle of their game against Cleveland. That's the sixth inning. And, you know, this game is, you know, a last gasp of last gasp. The Twins were six games out going into this game. It really wasn't even realistic that they were going to get back into it. But, hey, if they win this game, then it's five. And then you're like, okay, something weird happens. They catch fire in a week, something like that. Cleveland goes in the tank. You never know. But they had to, had to, had to win this game to have any kind of even faint hope of of getting back into it. They fall behind 4 nothing right away. Sunday Gray leaves with uh, a mild injury. So you're thinking, okay, this one's over. But they, they kind of rally, right? They get it to 4-2, and then it's 4-3 in the sixth inning. And you get this sequence. Um, Celestino singles to center. Jake Cave um, gets an infield single. Celestino goes to second base. Matt Walner hit by a pitch. So now you got the bases loaded and just one out because Gio Urshela had grounded out to shortstop. So Celestino, Cave, Walner. Mark Contreras pinch hits for Caleb Hamilton, who was in the game in place of Sandy Leon. Contreras lines into a double play. Walner doubled off. End of the inning. So just that sequence. There's a <laughs> Walner was just like laying on the ground afterwards, just disappointed. Um, there's a, you know people were making memes of it on Twitter. Just you know the, the day the twin season died, things like that. Um, but hey, you know just that sequence in B. Everybody who was in the game in what was still a quasi meaningful game in mid to late September against a division rival, Celestino followed by Cave followed by Walner followed by Contreras, who's hitting for Hamilton, who's in the game for Sandy Leone. None of these guys you could have even imagined factoring into this season in any kind of way. You might not have even heard of half of these guys before the year started, and here all of them are contributing to probably the final sequence in which the Twins had any chance at all in this season because right after that, inning over, Cleveland scores three times in the bottom of the sixth. They add a bunch more later, ends up being 11-4, to four. And you, you wind up with Palacios, a position player, pitching for the Twins. So there you have it. Um, just a sad a sad way for this season to unofficially end. A year that had a lot of optimism, a lot of promise as the Twins you know, spent a lot of time in first place. But I think we'll ultimately remember that they were just probably mostly being propped up by a bad division and nothing more than that. That We'll do it for today. A lot more Vikings content coming up on Wednesday show when Andrew Kramer and I will go deep 
on a film review. Um, Thursday should be fun as well. Got a lot of gopher stuff coming up on that show, so stay tuned for that. Until then, thanks for joining me. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.